So that brings us to the altar of incense. The altar of incense is once you step in the holy place, you come to the veil. And right before the veil, you get to this little altar of incense, this gold altar of incense. And it was a rectangular kind of a pillar thing. It was square, but rectangular in height. And it looks just like a lot of the other items. It's all gold, which represents the glory of God because you're in the tabernacle again. And this is where they would burn incense, and specifically frankincense. And the only time we ever talk about frankincense is the kings, which, by the way, there were not three. There were probably more, and they weren't kings. They were magi, magicians. But we think we, the story started all of their story because they're bringing three gifts, but that doesn't mean anything. So the reality is frankincense is a rock. It's a rock that you like carve out, and it's a big chunk, and you would kind of carve some powder off of it to get it lit, and then the rock would just smolder like some kind of a coal. And then they pour some myrrh on it, which is an oil kind of incense, to give it a, a nice incense. Because frankincense is one of those things that like you either love it or you hate it. It's not like most people are like, oh, roses smell beautiful, and most people are going to say that. Frankincense is like, when I smell it burned in Israel and stuff, like half of our group was like, ew, and the other half was like, oh, this is awesome. So it's like uh, you like it or you don't. And so they burn that, and the smoke would billow up. And the idea is that this is a pleasing aroma to God. And so there's two smokes going up in the air at all times, the animal fat burning on the altar and the altar of incense going up. Now, if you go to other cultures, like tribal cultures today, they will tell you that they believe that the, the prayers of the people actually mix with the smoke, and the smoke carries your prayers up into heaven. And it was a way of visually seeing what you desired, your sacrifices, your love, your righteousness, your devotion, your prayers, all going up into the heaven. And the gods would actually breathe these incense in, and it was the only way that you could physically mingle with the gods. So you put your devotion and your prayers into this incense that would physically burn up into the heavens, and then the gods, or God in our case, would inhale this in, and it was the only way that you could really truly become one in a physical sense with God. Now, this doesn't mean that's literally happening, Remember, this is all metaphorical and symbolic. And so this incense, which is interesting, is in some places in the Bible, it tells us it's inside the Holy of Holies, like Hebrews. But here we're told that it's outside the Holy of Holies, like right up against the veil. And the best thing that we can figure out as scholars is that literally and physically, it's supposed to be in the Holy of Holies because this is the prayers of God or people mingling with the pillar of fire and going up into heaven. And this is your direct communication with God, who is in the Holy of Holies. But because you have to restock the incense on a daily basis, it practically doesn't work to put it in the Holy of Holies, so they put it right outside of it. But they put it right up against the veil to kind of say, this should be and kind of is in there, but practically speaking, we can't go, which we kind of have that you're with God, but you're kind of not. And it has that we're kind of in, but we're technically not. And we even feel that today, even though we have a greater access to God than they ever did, we still already, we're experiencing this already not yet. 
Yes, the Holy Spirit is indwelling me, but I still am not in the presence of God Almighty in heaven without sin. And so it might be communicating this idea that Christ fulfills this by the fact that he becomes the Spirit, so to speak, that connects us to God. That he, It is through him that by him physically being in us and he's physically in God, that it's through him as our mediator that our prayers and the Holy Spirit carries our prayers up to heaven that we gain this access and but we're technically not in the Holy of Holies yet because we still sin, but we kind of are because God is in us. And so this kind of communicates a link with God that we kind of have and we kind of don't. And so we, we're not completely clear how Christ fulfills that, but that's the best understanding that we have on the altar of incense. That brings us to the ransom money of chapter 30, verse 11. Question. Yes. Are there holes in the top of the tabernacle? No. How does this all work? God. And I know that it kind of like, sometimes I'm not a big fan of the God card because I don't think God operates all the time. But at the same time, when like one foot away, you've got this giant pillar of fire that's like literally sitting on top of the tabernacle and going through it, and it's not burning a hole in the tabernacle, I think if we're one foot away from that, it's okay to play the God card on this one too. So that would be my best guess. No, there was no hole for that either. So yes, there is a supernatural element. So here's the other thing too. I'm, I'll, we'll mention this again in numbers and stuff, but you know how you're like, but if God would just physically show, our pastor mentioned this, like, if God would just physically come down and appear to us, and if he would just do miracles and stuff like that, wouldn't everybody believe and stop sinning? No, because they're going to worship the golden calf right in front of this pillar of fire that has no fuel source and supernaturally burning, and it doesn't burn a hole in the tabernacle. Okay, it's like you think that God appearing and supernatural miracles prevent people from idolatry and make everybody believe, but that's not true. In fact, that entire generation will sin against God so badly continuously that they'll all have to die in the wilderness in the presence of this giant pillar of fire that's burning for them all the time. And then you have to remember, too, that this giant pillar of fire in the book of Kings is literally burning on top of the temple 24-7 every single day without a hole in the temple, without a fuel source, going all the way up into heaven. And they're going in the temple and sacrificing. They're going out in the fields and sacrificing their children and their daughters in the field to the, another god. And yet that giant thing is right there. They can literally just turn their head and see it as they're killing their daughters to another god. So don't think that God appearing before people just, we're too evil. Some people will immediately fall in love with God and worship him. But humanity is too dark and too evil for just God appearing to automatically win us over. And that's something you have to understand, the theme that's constantly going throughout the Bible is we say, but what if God, he's done it so many times and it has not changed human history. And then when he literally came down and rose from the cross, it didn't really change most people's lives. And that's the point, one of the major points the Bible is trying to make is this is who we are. We are evil to the core, that even if we were taken up into heaven and stood before God himself on the throne, most of us would still say, screw you. Because it's not a, I haven't seen God issue, it's a, my heart wants nothing to do with God issue. I mean, this is the same thing, like, we see this with, you're like, 
Seriously, you left that guy or that woman or that person for this relationship? It doesn't make sense because we're evil. Okay, and so... And we do the same thing all the time. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you still exchange them for other things. They're so inferior to God, and I do too. And so you have to remember that, yes, they're seeing it, but for most people that doesn't make a difference. And that's a depressing yet very real reality of our nature. So the ransom money. The ransom money is that Yahweh comes, verse 11 of chapter 30, Yahweh spoke to Moses and said, When you take a census of the Israelites according to their number, then each man is to pay a ransom for his life to Yahweh when you number them, so that there will be no plague among them when, the number, when you number them. Everyone who crosses over to those who are numbered is to pay this, a half shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a half shekel is to be offered to Yahweh. Everyone who crosses over those number, um, numbered from 20 years old and up is to pay an offering to Yahweh. The rich are not to increase it, and the poor are not to pay less than half of a shekel when giving the offering of Yahweh to make an atonement for your lives. You are to receive the atonement money from the Israelites and give it for the service of the tent of meeting, and it will be a memorial for the Israelites before Yahweh to make an atonement for your lives." What the heck is going on? This is what God's basically saying. Everybody who basically reaches the age of 21 years old has to be ransomed from God. Your life belongs to God. This is what God is saying. Technically, you're all sinners. Technically, you all deserve to die. You should all be killed. But God is allowing you to get your life back by paying a shekel. Now, remember, a shekel is also silver, and silver is the color of redemption now what's very interesting is here's god is saying wait a shekel that's it that's like a day's wages and you think that's not a whole lot well the beauty of this is a day's wages is going to be a sacrificial thing for a rich person i mean because we're not talking about like huge wealthy people like we have today most people during this time period they're going to have wealthy people but losing an entire day's wages is still going to hurt a little bit, especially when you have large families. But at the same time, it's small enough that even a poor person can pay it. And what's very interesting is when we get to the sacrifices, he'll, he says the rich are to sacrifice a bull, slightly poor people are a lamb, but really poor people can sacrifice a dove. So basically all people, there's this like sliding scale system of sacrifice. But he doesn't allow for that on the ransom. Everybody pays the same price. So what he's communicating is that everybody's life is equal. The animal sacrifices are based on sin and sacrifice, meaning that you have to sacrifice without sacrifice is not sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not a real sacrifice. So of course the animal is going to be more valuable when it comes to sacrifice. But this isn't sacrifice. This is how much your life is worth, so to speak. And what God is communicating is everybody's life is worth the same. Therefore, everybody pays the same. You're not allowed to increase it. You're not allowed to decrease it. God, so everybody's life is worth the same. Now, it's not technically putting a value in your life either, saying your life is only worth a day's wages, because that's kind of depressing. But the idea is it's making you physically and mentally go through the process of realizing that you deserve to die. But to be part of the covenant community, you have to be a ransom. And somebody has to pay the ransom price. 
But the ransom price that you're paying only allows you to see the tabernacle. And it's going to be a foreshadow of Christ who will become our ransom payment. And it's not going to be a day's wages. It's going to be his entire life. And he's not going to just grant you access to seeing it. He's going to actually grant you access to entering it permanently, forever. Remember, none of this is literally saying this is what will literally happen. This is all symbology and metaphor of what Christ will literally do one day. So that's the ransom. 